Blog Talk Radio. Boy, have we got a show for you tonight. It's April 30th, 2017. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight we are joined by co-hosts Jeff Brown and David Fillion. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Please, remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. Having said that, we certainly hope everyone enjoyed this past week and that you all stayed safe. We have a few announcements, quite a few, because it's been a uh, couple of weeks since we had announcements. Uh, Number one, remember that Team Working for a Living supports Medicare for everyone. Second announcement, on April 20th, Venezuela has nationalized a General Motors plant in the city of Valencia. Subsequent to the the Venezuela seizure, General Motors fired 2,700 employees and stated that the financial impact may be minimal since the corporation didn't expect to produce or sell many cars there this year. On a side note, it's interesting that General Motors didn't think their 2,700 employees weren't going to produce many cars this year. Announcement number three. Ford first quarter earnings came out indicating Ford made $1.6 billion. That's down 35% from last year's $2.4 billion. Ford blamed this on door latch problems, warranties, recalls, and cost of materials. We might, on another side note, we might think that the money's used to produce executive pension funds as high as $858 million may have also had some impact on profits. Think about that for a second. Announcement number four, General Motors earnings are out. More on that later in the show. Announcement number five, the Supreme Court ruled against General Motors in the ignition case that killed 124 people and injured 275 people. More on that later in the show. Number six, UAW members of uh, Local 5960 working at GM Subsystems ratified their national and local agreements. Congratulations on achieving a contract. Side note, we think. (laughs) Announcement number seven, UAW President Dennis Williams is now out as a board member at Navistar. And Jeffrey Coco has been named to replace Dennis. Hey, Jeff, in our opinion, don't get too comfortable there. And Dennis, we'd like to say that you're out from another board in another year or so, you and your caucus. Announcement number eight, Ohio District Federal Court Judge Carr ruled that the Honeywell retirees' health care has expired. More on that later in the show. Announcement number nine, on April 27, 2017, the United States confirmed R. Alexander Acosta as number 45's new labor secretary. Notice we're referring to the president 
as number 45 now. It's a little distasteful to say the name anymore. Uh, uh, R. Alexander Acosta is the only Hispanic cabinet, cabinet member. And it seems interesting that people want to hide their first name with an initial. I don't know about that. It just always kind of just seemed odd. Uh, announcement number 10. The Teamsters at Local Union 707 in New York have lost their pension. It is noteworthy to say this follows the closing of the Cleveland Teamster pension. Announcement number 11. The federal funding has been extended till Friday, May 5th, 2017 to run our country. This ought to be an extremely and extraordinarily interesting time for us to live in. Going on to email. Number one, uh, we continue to get a lot of congratulations on the first anniversary of this radio show. Uh, thanks to all of you who have indicated that in writing and in uh, a comment and in a written word. We really appreciate it, or in, uh, you know, uh, by voice. We really appreciate all those kudos. Thank you very much. Now, email number two. I work at GM Subsystems, LLC, and we've recently been reminded that we are not employees of GM. Even though, to get hired, we had to get a referral from a GM worker. And in some cases, we work shoulder to shoulder with a GM worker. Why aren't we considered GM workers? FG from Michigan. I didn't use their name at all, just their initials. This is a sensitive subject, so we um, talked about that. Let me address that. Maybe the fellows want to talk about it a little later as well, but let me talk about that real briefly. It seems as though we now have General Motors before the bankruptcy, and that was restructured, still exists after the bankruptcy. And what also occurred from the bankruptcy was General Motors LLC, and then somewhere along the line uh, created, not from bankruptcy necessarily, was GM Subsystems LLC. In the past, we've had the different divisions of General Motors, uh, Cadillac, Chevrolet, the truck division, Buick, and the now defunct Pontiac and Oldsmobile were all under the master agreement from General Motors. Those were all different divisions. I would expect that GM Subsystems LLC is yet another division of General Motors. And we really question why GM Subsystems LLC is not under a master agreement because it seems as though there have been cushy deals made where, for example, logistic systems are uh, built and then all new employees going into the logistic system were GM Subsystems LLC. Jobs that you know, two weeks, essentially two weeks ago, or a week ago, were uh, supporting the logistics 
of the assembly line now became uh, a different company supporting the logistics of the assembly line, actually doing some build-up prior to the assembly line, module build. So I, <laughs> I expect you'll find, sister, that uh, this is something that uh, was cooked up by our union leadership. And I want to reiterate, not by our union. That's us. And having a union is a wonderful thing. But we got some leadership that's run a, run a, a rally, run astray. When they start negotiating to allow lower wage jobs, that actually violates the Constitution that says ever higher wages, ever lower hours. That's the UAW Constitution says that. So it's an interesting question. I think you'll see a plank on that sometime in the near future from our caucus that opposes such action by General Motors. And uh, we believe that you ought to be making General Motors wages under the umbrella of General Motors and all of the profit sharing and, and uh, the bonuses that, that come along with that. And also that you uh, are uh, making tier one wages and tier two goes away. So having said that, uh, I guess that's about the best answer we can give you at this time. Uh, it is an interesting uh, um, thing that's occurred. So uh, that's uh, about all we'll say about that one. Uh, in another email, number three, uh, could Leroy review NAFTA and GAP? Uh, that's from last week's show. That's from TP in Florida. By the way, initials TP. Um, so you want to know more the review NAFTA and GAP. Let me give you a real, real quick version. Everybody knows that NAFTA took in uh, the uh, North America, uh, Canada, U.S., and Mexico. And we paired, paired two first-tier countries with a third-world country. And that was just, you know, incongruous and was, you know, a really bad thing to do. Uh, we said then that there should be a sliding scale to the highest minimum wage uh, and that they uh, should input that on all products coming in. And that was, uh, again, that was signed December 8, uh, 1993. Uh, so if they had a sliding scale at its inception, that sliding scale would be in place and intact now because GATT, Global Agreements on Tax and Tariff, GATT, uh, that a law that began in 1945, this is a trade, a trade agreement, that began, uh, saw its uh, uh, inception in the 1940s and then was redone in, 19, uh, in the early 1990s and signed in 1994 on December 8th. Okay, that was one year subsequent to NAFTA. So the NAFTA, and what that did was freeze all tax and tariffs for all countries that were signatures of that, signatories of that. So had we had a sliding scale for uh, had we had a sliding scale for uh, NAFTA, that would be in place at the signing of GATT. So, uh, having said that, um, 
GATT has locked us in. I, I covered uh, the 1982 Mexico City summit that uh, encouraged any and all other countries beside the United States to go to a, a national sales tax, and we remain on a payroll withholding. That cost uh, us to have a pay, uh, one cost of government, other countries through their sales tax to have a cost of government, but when we put our product over there, exported to them, the uh, they would have two costs of government, and then when they sent their product over here, they didn't sell it in their country, they brought it over here with zero cost of government, and that meant that uh, they had a 32% tax advantage both in the United States and in their country. Because of GATT, we can't make an adjustment to correct that, unlike number 45 that would say that you can do that. Everybody, unless we renounce our signatory to GATT, which would cause just enormous problems. So we can still put on their sales tax at our border and send that money back to them. That stops the dumping in our country. So that's the long and short of last week's show. Uh, I don't want to get too much into that. So uh, next up we have too much more into that, that is. Next up uh, we have this week in worker news. But first we have this week's quote. Uh, I would say in light of all the pensions falling, one after another, it now seems appropriate for this week's quote to be from Pastor Martin Niemöller. Think about this in respect to pensions, what he says here. He said this after serving eight years in a German prison, and this is what he said when he got out. quoted this time and time again in speeches that he gave. First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Again, that's from a quote from Pastor Martin Niemöller, subsequent to his imprisonment after, during World War II. He stated all these things. Okay, next. Um, the caucus has officially added Medicare for Everyone as a new platform plank. Okay, that takes care of all of our business. Let's bring on the co-hosts Jeff Brown and David Fillion. Jeff, come on in here and say hi. Hi, guys. How are everybody doing this weekend? Pretty good. How's your weekend? Um, going by fast. I took a one-day yeah. trip and kind of wore me out, but I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see you made a video earlier. Uh, maybe during your yeah. report you want to talk about that, uh, if, if you want. Maybe save that for your report and talk, tell us a little about that as well. Let's bring on David. David. Yeah. Hey, Leroy, Jeff. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, Dave. Yeah, pretty good. Things are a little soggy I'm today. <laughs> yeah, we, we Our brothers and sisters in down in Missouri sent us up some uh, some rain. Um, I hope everybody's okay down there. Um, they've experienced an extreme amount of flooding. Uh, seeing friends posting on Facebook, um, a lot of water. 
hope all those folks down there are okay and no property damage. Correct. Right. We hope everybody down there is safe. And as it comes our way, we hope that everybody around here is safe as well. But it seems like they it dumped a lot more on them than what we're going to get. So, uh, okay. Uh, let's. I uh, know uh, uh, Jeff has a report that he'd just been aching to talk about all week. It's just a lot of stuff going on over there. And this is part of the headline uh, that we had. That you, you know, you ain't gonna believe this kind of headline. I I heard it and I, I my mouth dropped wide open. I don't think I've ever heard anything like this. So, Jeff, if you want to take that away and just start telling everybody what happened over this past week or so, Lyra. Yeah. Can you hear me? Can yeah, Lyra. Before you hear me yeah. Okay. Before uh, Jeff um, starts, you're breaking up, Lyra. Um, lost okay. sound too. We'll make an adjustment there. How's that? A little better? Um, no. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on. Okay. Well, anyhow, uh, Jeff, there you go. Now okay. Good. All right. Good. Good. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. All right. Um, to our regular listeners, you can hear me talk about. Uh, our problems at Local 3000 concerning our 2017 elections. We've had some major problems, major, major um, constitution violations, our local bylaws, constitutions. I myself have written two uh, charges against one from our president and one for our sergeant at arms, our executive board seem to think that um, there were no charges. The charges were not valid. And um, they're making a damn fool out of themselves. Um, they accused our, executive, our election committee of lying to the membership, which they did not do. They accused the election committee of lying to the membership, saying they wanted the early election and lives of people. That is not true. That was our president and the Flat Rock chairman who wanted the early election. All right? I have all the documentation to prove everything I have said and what's going on. Um, last week, we had eight members of our election committee resign over the harassment from our leadership. And today they had a special meeting for our election of a new election committee. Time's running short. So they didn't post a notice of this, today's meeting until Friday afternoon after the bishop went home. So not everybody knew there was a meeting. All right. Those who wanted to be on the election committee on the day shift didn't know about it because the only ones who were able to run for those positions today were the ones um, who attended today's meeting. So that tells me that our president kept 
just hidden until the last minute. So he has all his friends, supporters to run for this, this committee. Um, so having said that, there was a international servancy rep at today's meeting as well. Today, this morning, I did a live feed on Facebook about warning my uh, local thousands of brothers and sisters of all the things that have been happening in our local community for the last three months. And I have posted some of the things on my Facebook page, meeting minutes, keyboard meeting minutes, um, announcements, meeting announcements, everything. Uh, I will continue to do that throughout the week, one one every day, to tell my members what has happened in the last three months. There's a lot going on that we really bad. Um, and I am one of the founders of Local 3000. In all my three years inside that plant in our local, being active, I have never seen the corruption taking place like it is today. And I was damn proud of being one of the founders of our local. We did a lot of things that normal locals never did before. Um, because we were lots of employees at the time. And our members over the years under Mazda got harassed by other UAW members from our locals because we worked for a Japanese plant. Now, having said that, um, we left to find out when our election is. It was supposed to be determined today. They had, so all in all, they had um, nominations for um, election committee. They had the vote on those candidates. And then they presented uh, dates and times and places of the election. All that in one day. And normally that didn't happen that way. Um, this is part of the corruption inside my local. And it, I am going to fight to the end to make it stop. And I am very ashamed of some of the people on my executive board you should know better because they've been in office long enough. A couple of months have been convention delegates. They should know right from wrong. They should know the Constitution. They should know our bylaws. They've been around a long time. And they have failed to do their job. They failed their oath of office. Okay. Um, anytime we have a physical uh, violence type of thing, it was wrong. Most of our charges were against our charges of arms. We created a physical uh, act for children 10 feet away from them. And our e-board must think it's okay to, to uh, hit somebody during our meetings. That's what I take out of, of that, because they ruled that charges against our charges of arms was without merit. So, Having said that, uh, I will continue this week again to give updates to our members. 
you can find me on my Facebook page and watch live feed or watch it afterwards. But this is very unusual what's going on in my my local. So I will continue to keep everybody informed. Our international needs to step up and do the job and remove these people from them not doing their jobs correctly or executive board. That's all I got, Leroy. I don't want to go to speak too long. I know we've got more to talk about. But that's pretty good. Everybody's okay, up Jeff. right now. Okay, okay Jeff. Uh, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, there was an executive board recently uh, that was absent a couple of members, including the recording secretary, that uh, did some business and didn't they talk about and conduct some business that said some Article 40 or 31 charges were not uh, uh, proper? They were they ruled them without merit. I think is how they ruled them. And it actually didn't say that. It, uh, I think the the member the minutes said it just failed. There was dis- the charges were read, discussion, and the word failed behind it. So. Um, they were all given a constitution book. They said they had all the executive board members were given a constitution book. Um, well, imagine they must have just taken a picture of the front cover of that book because they surely didn't read it. Right. Because uh, they they mentioned that it failed because of Article 31, Section 3C. Which says yes, the charges, the complaint must be uh, uh, based in the Constitution, and then has the little word "or." Or it's two two letters, small word "or." It means that it has to be based in the Constitution, or have the charge contain the charge of conduct unbecoming. One of those two. Now, I happen to know what the charges said, and the charges did say conduct unbecoming. It was stated in there. The charges also had constitutional basis items to include Robert Schulz's order. And in Section 30, or Article 36, Section 6, while it says the order of the agenda may be adjusted locally, that limits that adjustment to the order of it. And then below the order, it says all parliamentary items will be decided by Robert Truth of Order. And this is in the Constitution, so it's constitutionally based. So I'm guessing that they said any Robert Truth of Order that were cited are not constitutionally based. Of course, that's not correct because the Constitution does provide for Robert Truth of Order for all things parliamentary as in how you handle a uh, physical assault in a union meeting. Actually, uh, it's actually spelled out in Robert's Rules of Order. It's based in the Constitution of the UAW. So for them to cite that paragraph is just astonishing. But the most astonishing thing that I've ever seen in my 
entire life regarding a union meeting or any meeting, whether it be a political party meeting or a nonprofit meeting or a governmental meeting, all of which I've been part of over the years. It, it is just unbelievable that one of the persons, one of the men charged, both these were men, one of the men charged, the sergeant of arms, actually signed the minutes that dropped the charges on, on him. I just cannot believe that our union is that far out of control. And I got to say, I got to say, this could have been dealt with during that 19-page diatribe that the president's office came back in the decision on the appeals, uh, even though it's premature, but they, they did come back and make it, because there seemed to be some uh, question about timeliness. The president's office got involved a little early and wanted to add some sense to this. But they could have fixed it in that 19-page response. They could have. But the problem is, Dennis didn't read the book, did he, Jeff? <laughs> no, he didn't not read, read the, the book. book. It tells him, no. tells him how to deal with such matters. And now the culprits are still there doing even more egregious things. Dennis, you should have read the book, buddy. You just don't get it. You're, you are not competent to be in the position you're in. And because you lacked in your decision initially, you now have even a bigger problem. But you'll find out what that is soon. So that that's that's it, folks. I mean that that one there. I, you know, wow. You know, when you think you've seen it all, Jeff. There you go. Okay. So yeah. that's my. Sp- spiel on Jeff's report. David, do you have anything to add to Jeff's report? Um, no, not really. Just that uh, um, it's not surprising um, Dennis, Dennis not uh, um, going to the book. Um, seems that uh, um, the leadership um, they're actually proud of their incompetence. Um they're not uh, ashamed in any way. Um, it's been that way for a few years now. Um, and it keeps getting worse. Um, members just come to expect that these things occur. And they're not right, but I actually feel they're proud of their shame. Um, yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, the, the charges, you know, we filed against the president and the sergeant of arms. The president um, chaired the meeting. He and the sergeant of arms should have left the room while they were discussing the targets. It's true. Right. And again, our president signed, put the meeting minutes and signed his name to the meeting minutes. So this tells you how power and control works in local units. 
And as we always said at the beginning, it is not about power and control. It's for the privilege of representing our members. And that's not happening at Local 3000. So I'll keep everybody informed uh, as days come along. There's a lot of things happening down here, and they're all bad. And Mr. Williams, get off your ass and do something about it. You have the power to remove these individuals. So do it. Step up, be a man, put on your big boy pants, tighten up your belt, and do what you got to do. I know you won't, because you work for the corporations, not for us. So... All I got to say, Leroy. I'm not a happy camper. Okay, Jeff. A moment. Yeah, there's a lot of people that aren't happy campers. You know, what I mean, uh, I, I should add, uh, to, for the listeners' benefit, Jeffrey was—I believe you were on the executive board at your local when there were charges uh, made at one point, and you were chairing the trial uh, committee. Uh, so you have witnessed firsthand how executive board member is supposed to conduct himself or absent himself from the meeting as it's and the trial uh, when when it, well uh, I guess it was at the trial too when uh, the, the uh, items are being discussed uh, so uh, you have personal experience I too have personal experience charges against my president in a trial I chaired that trial committee as well. Um, uh, in the trial, our president uh, chose not to be present. I think they're actually allowed to be present, uh, but our president chose not to be. Uh, so, uh, and depended on uh, the fight to prevail, and of course, he was exonerated. So, but he didn't sign his own exoneration minutes. Let me tell you that, uh, like like it's just occurred. So, both Jeff and I speak from experience. Of, uh, charges and trials uh, as we've uh, presided over those or been a part of them. Uh, so I uh, want to thank you, Jeff, for everything you're doing there. It's a lot of hard work. So having said that, I know David has a report now ready to go. Uh, David, you want to jump in and give your report? Sure. Well, um, first quarter um, profits um, are out. Um, they're up 33%. Um, to $2.6 million. It's a record um, for GM since it emerged from bankruptcy in 2009. Um, that $2.6 million compares with uh, last year's first quarter earnings of $1.93 billion. Um, these profits uh, were generated mostly in North America and China. Um, they took a loss of $200 million in Europe. Um, they expect uh, to take a $4.5 billion charge when uh, the sale of Opal Vauxhall brands completes um, later this year. So um, that sale isn't completed, but it will be later on in the year. How that relates to uh, stock earnings, um, the first quarter, um, that performance will translate into a dollar seventy per share. Um, that beats Wall Street's expectations. Um, 
on average, though, um, it'll be about a dollar forty-eight per share. Um, global revenue increased to forty-one point two billion dollars, um, and stock closed, I believe, at thirty-four dollars and sixty-four cents on Friday. Um, there's um, some other bad news, though, in light of these good earnings. Um, Supreme Court um, last July, I believe it was, um, had ruled that uh, GM uh, couldn't uh, shield itself from further ignition switch um, um, lawsuits. Um, so they're going to be now um, looking at these lawsuits again. There were um, 124, at least 124 people injured. Oh, that's, um, excuse me, I got my uh, figures mixed up here. Let me correct that. There were at least 124 people killed, and the injured amounted to 275. These were um, small cars, um, namely the Chevrolet Cobalt. And the Saturn Ion. Um, these uh, lawsuits will um, take up in uh, New York um, federal court, and uh, I believe the information I got here is correct. There are 370 injury lawsuits out there and 84 death lawsuits out there. So we don't know what that's going to translate into um, into money. Um, also, um, another issue um, relates to a recall. Um, the government is investigating General Motors on recalling 312,000 vehicles. Um, this is in addition to um, a recall in 2015 for headlights that can suddenly go dark. Um, 128 owners have complained to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration um, in regards to these headlight failures. Um, the investigation will cover the 2005 and 2009 Buick LaCrosse, 2006-2007 Chevrolet Trailblazer, GMC Envoy, Buick Rainier, and 2006-2008 Isuzu Ascender, the Saab 97X, and the 2007 Pontiac Grand Prix. Um, it's said that uh, it's a headlight module in the engine compartment that can overheat and stop working properly. Um, so we don't have um, figures on what these lawsuits are going to come to or this um, recall um, if they have to recall these cars but um, it's not going to be cheap and these are earnings right out of the pockets of our members um, money that can be spent to um, fund the um, or that General Motors 91% funded um, in our last reporting to us um, 
and those wages can also be used to raise the living standards of our members. So I don't believe got their fair share in the last contract. And all of this is, you know, pretty much on the back of uh, the CEO. She's making some pretty good money. But we're losing a lot of money on the other end, too, that should be in our members' pockets. So in the future, we'll look at uh, what these recalls end up costing. And we'll most certainly know what uh, the lawsuits end up being, too. So that's the report on uh, GM um, earnings recalls and the Supreme Court decision later on. Thank you, David. Jeff, do you have anything to add to his report? No, he did an excellent job. Um, I just hope rules in the members' favor. And um, because the company and the leadership has, once again, uh, left us high and dry. So that's all I got, Leroy. Okay. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, I... I reiterate what David says. This is money that's out of the hands of the, the membership, whether you're an active member, Tier 2 member, Tier 1 member, temporary member, in progression member. There's still four of those categories, by the way. we got enough tiers, Dennis. And then you say that, we got enough tiers. Now we got we had two, now we got four. So... There's no reason for members to be donating plasma when you're losing money like that. Yeah. They shouldn't have to donate plasma. I see it, you know, uh, every day I see it, where they they go and they donate plasma to augment their earnings. They can give every three days. They're there twice a week donating plasma so they can augment their wages. Mm-hmm. And that's something. I tell you, pizza pizza drivers making fifteen bucks an hour, and the contract says that people get hired at General Motors at fifteen forty. It might be temporary, albeit, and they might get some shift premium on that, making it sound like they make more. But the base rate's fifteen forty. I tell you, I have to uh, say something right now. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our new hires get, get hired at $15 an hour. I have a new supervisor that's been with our company um, probably over a year now. came to us from a Meyer warehouse down in Monroe. He's a good mm-hmm. guy. He don't miss nobody. But last week, he told me something that I was very shocked about. He just makes barely over what second-tier people make, and he gets no vacation time. So, you know, I I like my boss. Everybody does. He doesn't mess with us. We do a good job for him. Um, but to, to become hired up in a management position, uh, you know, I feel bad for him. He's got family to support. But, um, I was shocked. They told me he just makes a little over what 
seconds here people make. So I got you right. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, there's lots of stories out in our community. I mean, the, uh, I was aware of a, a Burger King worker that was making, I think, 840 an hour. And they asked the person to transfer to another Burger King because they were a good worker and they needed good workers at the Burger King. This is good work. Good work. Okay. And I said, did you get a raise, you know, to, to move to that other store? Oh, yeah, I got a raise. <laughs> you do all right then. Oh, I, I really, I mean, I really got a raise. Yeah, I'm curious, man. How's that, how'd that work for you? I got a dollar an hour raise. I'm making nine forty an hour now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the Burger King company that owned all the, the Burger Kings, because they're all franchised. It's not Burger King himself. I want to be clear about that. The company that owns a franchise, they had uh, many of them, over 100. They made enough money to go and buy 66 Applebee's stores at a million five apiece. I'm sorry, two million apiece. They sold for a million five over in Wisconsin, and they spent two million apiece here in Michigan, 66 stores. Now, don't you think that maybe a few people could have been making 12 bucks an hour or 14 or 15 bucks an hour instead of this company making egregious profits to the point where they could buy 66 at 2 million apiece over a billion what is that I don't know 66 that's not over a billion that's but it's way up there yeah way up over $100 million. A lot of money. A lot of money. And that's part of our problem. You know, they've conditioned our our workforce in our country to think that $8 is a good minimum wage, or 840 whatever it is, 825 And the waitresses and waitstaff make 310 an hour minimum wage. And they rely on tips. I told one of the Democratic Party leaders that, and he's, no, that's not true. They're making eight some an hour. No, no, no. They make, at the time, it was, I think, 267 when I mentioned. And the rest is based on tips. The rest is based on tips. So think about that next time you get waited on. You know, somebody wait on you, make sure you, you kind of take care of them because they're not getting paid by their employer. Uh, so, it's it's sad that we're conditioned to think that eight dollars is a, is a good wage. And then I, I talked to somebody that's in a, uh, a a warehouse for harnesses that get made in Nicaragua, and they get sent to a little warehouse west side of Lansing. They used to be made by Packard Electric in Warren, Ohio near where I grew up. My stepmother was a committee person there. Yeah. And in at Packard Electric. Now they're made at some country, these harnesses in the wire, made in some country down in Nicaragua. All these harnesses then get sent out 
and they're making 12 bucks an hour. But the young man said, I might be getting a team leader job. And if I get a team leader job after only six months, I'll be making $16 an hour. I'm going, you got a wife, two kids, a couple dogs, decent home, and you got to support all of that on $16 an hour. 32000 a year. Yeah, but my wife works. There's two of us working. Yeah, and she's making probably 12 Oh, something like that. Isn't that sad? you got to have two people working just to make ends meet if you're a family. It used to be one wager and mom stayed home wherever mom was. One wage earner. Then they introduced, you got to have two wage earners. And then they suppressed the wage of those people down to where don't miss a day. Don't get sick. Don't have a vacation. Oh, and we'll dictate when your vacations are so that you don't have any other time through the week or through the year if you do get sick. That's just sad. Just sad. We think that those low wages are good. We've been mind framed and conditioned to that in this country. And it's unacceptable because guess what? Some of the people running stuff don't know how to run it. And there we have warranties and recalls and material costs that continue to go up because they don't know how to manage. And they siphon off money by washing it through an insurance company. And the insurance company makes their cut out of that money. But that's okay because it's coming back into their pension fund as high as almost a billion dollars, $858 million to be exact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about that? Well... Uh, it's pretty sad, pretty sad, David. I agree, and I agree, Joe, that, that we're there. Uh, let me get to my report. Um, first of all, I want to correct something I said in Jeff's report. I, I quoted Article 36, Section 6. I, I misquoted, and it was Article 42 uh, where the uh, order of the business is uh, suggested and may be altered. The order may be altered uh, only. Uh, and there are 13 orders of business in the agenda. And the Robert's Rules of Order is in that uh, uh, below the rules of order, or below the order of business, and it says that Robert's Rules of Order are there. Uh, again, that's Article 42. There is no section uh, of the UAW Constitution. I'm misstated because we do have some other things pending in Article 36, Section 6, and it was just happened to be topic conscious, and I apologize for that. So, um, My report is on uh, the Honeywell health care issue, and um, uh, last week, uh, Federal Judge James G. Carr, Sr. of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Ohio Western Division uh, uh, ruled that the Honeywell 
uh, health care for retirees has expired based on the last contract language that says uh, retiree health care will, ex- will expire. And he used the court case uh, is based on his deci- based his decision on the court case M and G Polymers USA LLC versus Tackett. Now it's the court case he dismissed or used basis for his dis- uh, uh, to dismiss the case because uh, somebody brought a suit uh, saying that they wanted their health care, and he basically said that uh, this contract uh, language said that it would expire at the end of the agreement. Uh, he cited that case, uh, but that case uh, uh, was re- remanded to this, the, the, the case of uh, M&G Polymers USA LLC versus Tackett. Uh, and he decided this case in uh, January 26, 2015, uh, and uh, the, uh, that uh, uh, was appeal, uh, appealed to them. So he, uh, the, the judge uh, uh, decided that uh, at that time. He just recently made this ruling. Though. So the uh, M&G Polymers was decided on January 2615. So again, he re- uh, that Supreme Court case was remanded back to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeal, or the, the Court of Appeals. We don't want to specialize or spe- be specific because he wasn't. Remanded back to Court of Appeals uh, and given certain specific instructions. Now, let me, there were eight of them, okay? And let me just go through these. One, uh, the cardinal principle of contract interpretation needs to be applied. The intention of both parties, that being the intention of both parties to be gathered from the whole instrument must prevail. Both parties, okay? Number two, uh, to determine what the contract uh, contracting parties intended, the court must examine the entire agreement in light of relevant industry-specific customs, practices, usages, and terminology. That's industry-specific. Okay, this is obviously in the auto industry. Uh, three, uh, contract to the M&G's assertion. Uh, the rule require uh, no rule requires clear and express language in order to show the parties intended health care to vest. Okay, in other words, it could vest without clear and express language. Constraints on the employer after the expiration date of a contract may occur. Okay, and may be derived from the contract's explicit, but not, but may arise as well from implied terms of the expired agreement. Okay, so they could be implied after the agreement expires. Uh, uh, Again, on remand, the Court of Appeals should examine the entire agreement to determine whether the the parties intended health care benefits to vest. Uh, Because retirees have a vested lifetime right to pension, a provision stating that retirees will receive health care benefits if they are receiving a month pension is relevant to this examination. So if a, uh, so is a survivor benefits clause instructing uh, that if a retiree dies, her spouse will continue to receive a portion of the, uh, the uh, benefits until death or marriage, pension or health care. 
until death or remarriage, typically. And so the Supreme Court's seeing already that there's some industry-specific language in what they're saying. And number seven, after considering all relevant language in light of industry practices, the Court of Appeals, uh, and if, if they conclude it's ambiguous, it may turn to the intrinsic evidence. For example, the party's bargaining history. Okay, that means going back several contracts. Okay, and it did it? Uh, was this language in that uh, earlier in the earlier uh, agreements? So, and the last one, the this uh, does sort of uh, fly in the face of uh, the UAW here. Uh, because it uh, says it must conduct a, a foregoing inspection without yard man's thumb on the scale of vested retirement benefits. The yard man is uh, the UAW versus yard man, and that was uh, in a, a case in uh, the, uh, near Jackson that initiated near Jackson, Michigan, and went on up to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and that has been the measure for vested health care benefits for some time. And it was used in the VEBA argument that I was intervening plaintiff to. So this is a backhanded way to try and uh, water down or diminish Yardman, the, the, uh, uh, the decision of Yardman, but it is also can, can be argued as very narrow. So um, that's on remand. That's just back to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Now we have this guy coming through here, this judge, James G. Carr Sr., uh, citing a Supreme Court decision it was a, a remand decision. So it really didn't, there was no decision. It was just, I mean, sent it back to the, Supreme, or the circuit court. And really the circuit court's decision, ultimate decision, is the one that should have been re, uh, referred to or cited. Supreme Court remand is not necessarily all that important because they're not the fine. This was they said very clearly. This is a condensation of the the Supreme Court ruling because I read it word for word. Okay, now so here here's the problem with all of this. Okay, again, it should probably use the Court of Appeals final decision. Uh, again, the man is used in the remand order as a measure of uh, uh, not to be used. Uh, so, uh, but that can be used very narrowly and say that's just for that. And then, um, uh, Judge Carr's decision does not speak to the intended purpose of previous contracts under which employees retired that did not contain limiting language that said that health care expires after a certain date, time certain. And likely the last contract might have been influenced by an outside party, a third outside party, a union-breaking management consultant company by the name of Strom Engineering that was used in Honeywell for the purposes of the lockout, if you may recall. Judge Carr's decision did not at all consider the very specific Supreme Court decisions, one through seven that I just uh, talked about, that as they may be pertinent to the previous contracts, previous contracts, not the the latest one that he's talking about that had this language in it. Also, did not his decision also did not consider the Supreme Court decision that Pittsburgh plate glass versus Allied Chemical Workers prohibits making any negative changes 
to existing retirees. Supreme Court full decision, not a remand. Thus, such language could be added in an agreement, but could only affect future retirees and not existing ones. And that's a full, in, the, in Pittsburgh play class, is a full decision. Again, it's not a remanded decision so that the sixth or the circuit court could make a decision. I keep saying the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals because I had two cases there at the exact same time at one point. And they went up. Judge Carr's decision does not consider that the placement of retiree health care benefit contract into a language well after retirement in an attempt to force existing uh, in an attempt to affect existing existing retirees violates ERISA protection of retiree benefits. ERISA Employment Retirement Retirement Insurance Security Act, I think it is, protects all benefits. And their whole purpose is for the purpose of uh, protecting benefits of retirees. That's in their purpose. And it's stated in one of the appeals that went out. So having said that, uh, in short, the Honeywell retirees that retired under a completely different contract, that the intended purpose was retirement, uh, health care in retirement for all time, should not be affected by an agreement that later states retirement health, retiree health care will cease to exist. So, uh, that is just simply wrong to do that to existing retirees. It likely violates ERISA. It no, most certainly invi- violates the Supreme Court's remand order and instructions to the circuit court that said you must consider the whole body of work, essentially, all the contracts going back and what was their intended purpose and what is the industry standard for retiree health care and what has been the industry standard. Even the VBA that set another trust for GM, Ford, and Chrysler maintained that we still should have health care. The corporation's part in that maintained that we should still have health care at no point. And it's in, in part of the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals argument stated open in open court somebody started to speak to whether health care was vested and the judge most opposing myself jumped up and said no we didn't stand up but he spoke up and said we're not here to determine whether it's vested or not in short, shut the person down. We're not going to decide whether they're vested here or not. In other words, this case is about whether a trust can exist that health care can be re- removed from the purpose and responsibility of the corporation over to this Viva Trust. And I know that because I was sitting in the damn courtroom 
and heard it and committed it to memory. And you can go and pull the transcript if you choose to. After the VIVA, retiree health care vesting was not, I repeat, not ever decided beyond anything that Yardman had said that it is vested. To the point where the appellate court judge, one of the panel of three, said we're not here to decide vesting. Now, you Honeywell retirees deserve health care. And I hope to God somebody on the legal team that's representing you is listening to this radio show tonight, including including UAW legal team. Take a real hard look at the remand instructions from the Supreme Court down to the appellate court on this other case that's been cited by Judge Carr. The other case being M&G M&G Polymers USA LLC versus Tackett. Read it. Learn it backwards and forwards. Take a good look and pull it apart. Our retirees deserve health care. You should read some of the examples of what's happening since they've lost health care. Do your job. Act like you really are capable legal counsel and help these people. And to the judicial system, I don't care if a Republican appointed you. You got a duty to the citizens of these United States. Do it. Stop being political. Stop being corporate partisan. And do your job for this country. We're working on Medicare for everybody. And we're working on making sure everybody, including the one percenters, pay their fair share. But until such time, you got to provide health care for these people. All right. We're 8.06 now. So uh, let me ask, uh, Jeff, do you have any more comments on what I just covered and said? No, you're absolutely correct. You know, people work their whole lives to earn that pension and health care once they retire. And it's in morals to take that away from them. And uh, we got to stand up and support each other. That's what I got right. me, right? Yeah, immoral. Yeah, you know, when when does greed become immoral and when does greed start to turn into, turn into illegal? And we're going to be, you know, I think that we touched on that a little bit tonight. When does greed turn into being illegal? You know, it's a good point, Jeff. David, you got anything on that one? No, you covered it to the team, Leroy, um, as you always do. Well, we try. We try. You know, we, we're standing up for working men and women, David and Jeff, as you know. And, you know, we actually can stand up 
because we know how. You know, when you make a good, strong argument, you know, right will always win. And you talk to these people, they listen to this stuff. You talk to them, tell them to do the job, and they maybe can grab their bootstraps and their high heels and pull them up nice and tight on their feet and walk into the room with authority and let them know. We're here to fix this for our people. Having said all of that, uh, I'm going to ask for closing remarks from each of our co-hosts, and then we'll close the show out. We're a few minutes late tonight, long tonight, not late, long. Uh, So uh, I'll ask Jeff first. Do you have any closing remarks on anything, Jeff? No, just everybody have a safe week. Uh, Enjoy the weather as it's improving, and we'll see you next week. Okay. David, do you have anything? Um, I didn't know if you wanted to make the announcement that you'll be speaking tomorrow. Yeah. I, you know, I'm. <laughs> it isn't about me, so I wasn't going to say much. But, um, I, as you know, David, and thanks for bringing it up. Uh, I've been asked to speak on the first annual May Day Rally at the Capitol, uh, put on by Team Michigan. And the uh, the uh, producer of this is a person we've had on the show in the past, uh, Attorney Jeffrey Hank. And he's asked that I speak there. I'm the closing speaker, so I'm going to close it out. Uh, and then they'll have a... Uh, prayer, I think it's benediction prayer afterwards uh, after I speak and then it will be finished up uh, so thank you for that David, anybody that's so uh, disposed and wants to come down to the capital, the capital is supposed to be a little overcast and maybe raining or drizzly at least uh, but we're prepared for that uh, and there will be a video of that later uh, uh, posted for people to view uh, so thank you for bringing that up, David. Uh, I, I want to touch. Uh, is that anything? You have anything else, David? No. Nope. Okay. My my closing remark is is as follows. Uh, in the Chrysler, F, now known as FCA, Fiat yeah, Chrysler America, uh, they have been talking about having what are called conductors. Uh, I'm going to just touch on it a little, David, because uh, we want to make sure that everybody understands that this has been asked for by Vice President Norwood Jewell, has been in the facility and asked for this to occur. A Vice President of the UAW has asked for this to occur. Norwood Jewell, to be specific. No good tool. You can just call him just about anything you can think of. It's despicable that he would ask for this. There, there have been rumors, and now it's been confirmed that he's been there and, and spoke on asking for this to occur. Conductors are uh, non-skilled workers who would begin to take on the tasks of electricians. 
to reset a relay, to put a new arm on a limit switch, a number of any things that may fit a, a regular non-skilled worker doing, and maybe some things they shouldn't be doing. All of these things they shouldn't be doing. But these are the things that they're talking about them doing. So they want to combine or create a trade uh, trade that's called conductor. Not a trade. It's they're, they're, they're regular people. They're going to be conductor. Regular, non-skilled production workers. They're going to be conductor. And they're going to take over duties of electrician. That's what they've talked about. Now, there's nothing in black letter print on this issue. Nothing. Zero. But it's intended to happen because the vice president of the UAW, Norwood Jules, gone to Chrysler and said that he'd like to see that occur. And it's good. it would be good if it occurred like that. No, it's not good. No. No, no, no. It's not good. So is it the plan of the caucus of working for living not to combine trades? We discussed this a bit, and the answer is no. Legally, the lines of demarcation do not provide for non-skilled worker to reset a relay, to put an arm on a broken arm or a wore-out arm on a limit switch or anything else. And if something were to happen because of what a non-skilled production worker did along those lines, there would be a lot of liability, perhaps personal liability for doing something you weren't supposed to be doing. Lockout procedure, all of the above, needs to be adhered by skilled trades, trained for at least four years. Even an employee in training gets at least four years. Eight last I checked. So the journey journey persons are four. So the answer, Norwood, is no. You shouldn't have been down there asking for this to happen. There's a lot of liability. I don't care what your buddy over there, Sergio, says. You and him can go get an airplane somewhere and fly away and, and never be heard from ever again, and nobody miss you. Really. So, again, there's nothing in black letter print. We're not going to see it anytime soon, even though the vice president of the FCA Department of UAW is asking for it. I will tell you this. Team Working for a Living Caucus does not support that in any way. And when you elect us at convention, we'll guarantee it won't happen to the degree that we can. And I'm pretty sure we're capable of doing that. You hear Jeff, you hear David, you hear me. 
We have other people on this caucus that you don't hear. And they're equally determined to have the membership represented properly. Good luck finding out who they are, Dennis. So with that said, let's close out the show. Uh, and unless, and David or Jeff, you want to comment on the, the issue of the conductors? I know I kind of threw that out there. We weren't going to talk about it, but I just couldn't say, help but just throw that out there to the degree I did. David? Um, if I had a suggestion to make to Dennis Williams, um, I would put Norwood Jewel in his office, disconnect his telephone, and his email address, and leave him sit there until he can be removed from office next year. That's the best thing he can do for the members that uh, Norwood represents. Thanks, David. Jeff, do you have anything on the conductor issue? No, you said everything perfectly, Leroy. Okay. Thank you. Uh, okay, so... Uh, that's that's the close of the show tonight. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, thanks for the people in the switchboard. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, and, you know, we had quite a few here, uh, so thank you very much. Uh, a lot of the team was here, not, not all the team, but uh, a lot of the team was here listening as well. Uh, we have some uh, numbers that I didn't recognize, but, um, you know, it's kind of nice to see them, those there as well. Um, remember, we have an email address. It's workingforaliving at workingforaliving.com. You can follow us on Blog Talk Radio. You'll get a reminder once a week when we post this. Uh, you can also, for ease of listening to the podcast, as this turns into a podcast that's archived afterwards, on, we're syndicated on uh, four different things. Obviously, blogtalkradio.com, workingforaliving. You can find all of the uh, syndicated uh, uh links on the top right-hand corner in the four thumbnails that are there. We're syndicated on iTunes, Stitcher, and Player FM as well. So want to uh, thank you for listening, and that's how you listen to the podcast through the week. If you found value in this show, please tell just one more person to us. want to shout out to all of our friends in all seven continents. Uh, i got to say, the Antarctica, we don't have anybody in Antarctica. Uh, <laughs> not that I can, not that I can discern in, in the show. So, but thanks to everybody. Uh, thanks to our friends in North America, Mexico, and Canada as well, and all clear across the United States and Brook Park, Flat Rock, Tonawan, and Lordstown, Flint, Pontiac, Bedford, De- Detroit, Lansing, Toledo, Chicago, Kansas City, Fairfax, Kansas, St. Louis, Wentzville, Arlington, Chattanooga, Doraville. I, we got some people there, but that plant closed. Chat, uh, Santa Cruz, California, and everyone else around the country and the world who listen in. I want to say good night, listeners, and good night, David and Jeff, and thanks for good, another good show with us. Thank you. Good night, guys. Good night, good night everybody.